Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 175. Today, our guest is James Laws. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Liquid Web. While Liquid Web's been known for years as a managed hosting company with tons of options, most recently they've designed a managed WordPress offering that's perfect for mission-critical sites. So if you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner that you've been looking for. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into their management portal. And this allows you to update several sites with a single touch. If you sign up today using the discount code WPTONIC33, you'll get a 33% discount for the next six months off your managed WordPress hosting. So visit liquidweb.com slash WordPress to get started and use the discount code WPTONIC33. Everybody introduce themselves, and we'll start with our honored guest, James. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself for the people you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Um, and so my name is James Laws. I am the co-founder and co-creator of a plugin called Ninja Forms, uh, which is probably what we're most well-known. Our parent company is WP Ninjas, and uh, we're just a small little uh, plugin development shop that got lucky with a pretty cool product and uh, have been doing it ever since. And so I also host a few podcasts myself, uh, mastermind.fm and adventures in businessing at aib.fm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's who I am. Definitely. And, and mastermind FM is definitely something I recommend. One of the few WordPress podcasts I actually listen to. Awesome. Um, Nothing. Uh, who are you for the people who don't know? Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a uh, WordPress support service company. Um, We're your trusted partner, aren't we, John? Definitely. (laughs) Uh, And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. I help blue-collar businesses with WordPress, custom WordPress development, and local SEO. Uh, jumping right in, when you know, how, James, how did you first get into web development? Were you always uh, doing that, or did you have a long and winding road to uh, get to where you're at today? Well, I, I started late in life with uh, with internet and even computers in general. I th- I bought my first computer from a Radio Shack in 1998, and that was my first computer. Uh, some compact Presario, I believe, is what it was, and uh, and that's how I got started. But I, I got started doing like graphic design. Somebody gave me kind of a bootleg copy of Photoshop, and I started playing around with that and really enjoyed graphic design. Uh, and then started dabbling with web projects, doing my own my own kind of side projects, mostly just static HTML stuff. Uh, and then it, it took several years for me before I actually got into the wonderful world of WordPress. So. Um, but yeah, it kind of it started it started way back in '98, mostly doing graphic design work. Um, I didn't actually get into freelance design and doing actual like client work, uh, websites for people, probably until uh, mid 2000s. I think is when I started doing some of that stuff. 
No, very nice. Uh, and you know, after that, like, how did you come to to start like a plugin company? Where did that concept come from? Yeah. So basically, I fell into it in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, and I don't want to. I don't want to undersell good ideas and hard work and and all this stuff. And and all that stuff is amazing. Uh, but what ended up happening is I was working as a web administrator for a regional credit union. Uh, doing, I did some server admin stuff for them. I built their websites, and they had a relationship with our local chapter of the junior of uh, junior achievement, and they were getting ripped off by a web company pretty bad. And so they had me come in as a consult and sit in on the meetings and kind of work through the pricing and where they were getting these prices from. So a perfect example was they were get, they were charging, I can't remember, they had like four or five different web forms that they needed for different various events. And they were charging uh, the same price for each of these forms that were essentially doing all of the same things, right? Like they had, the sa- they had to hook into the same processing, the same uh, display. I mean, it was all basic stuff. So instead of charging them maybe if you were going to do something like this, a lump sum for the initial build of all of the processing and stuff like this, and then saying, you know, and all the other forms, they don't, they're not, they're barely anything. So we'll just, you know, tack on a small little per form fee to say for each additional form. And I challenged it and had the conversation. And what ended up happening is my, the CEO who was on the board of Junior Achievement at the time, came and asked me if I would build their website for them as a favor to him. Uh, not free, but definitely uh, not, ex- not fairly cheap. And so I agreed to it. And in the process, I decided while we were building the form portion, and I didn't know a lot about WordPress at that time. I didn't know about the market ecosystem and all of the plugins that were available. Uh, I just knew I had a problem that I needed to solve. And so me and my, at, time, at the time, and still my business partner said, Let's just build a form solution that they can add whatever fields they want so they can they never even have to come back to us to build another form. They can just do it themselves. And that's what started it. We built this little form plugin, what I would call Ninja Forms uh, Alpha, <laughs> and released it to them. And when, we, when it was done, we were like, I wonder if anyone else would find this useful, like never have to build forms again, like have to actually hand code forms. And then we started, of course, doing some research on what was available out there and realized it was a, is a uh, dramatically saturated market. So that's a very interesting. So this arose out of an actual need uh, th- that customers had. But uh, when you were doing the research, seeing the market saturation, did that dissuade you in any way from from building your product? Yeah, that, that's a, that's an excellent question. And the truth is, when we first saw saw the market, we had no idea of even just WordPress's market share at that point. So we started doing research into that as well. And so side by side, we looked at the market and we thought, well, there's a lot of form plugins out there. So there's not a there's a lot of competition. But then we looked at what WordPress was doing in general. So we said, well, they certainly are not servicing all of these people. So there is certainly a, a piece of this pie that we can best service. And so it didn't intimidate us too much, um, but we did get a lot of pushback. Back, I don't, I, you, I'm sure you, yeah, you guys remember WP Candy. They wrote an article when we came out. And yep. a lot of people commented, like, why would anybody want Ninja Forms? There's already plugin X, and anybody who's going to have a form builder already owns this plugin, so why would they need you? Um, and that, that hurt a little bit, but we're stubborn, and so we stuck at it and, and have done fairly well with it. Now, it's really interesting that you bring that up, too, because 
uh, naturally you would think that that because there are other forms that are out there, like the, the market's done. But even since you guys put out Ninja Forms, there have been more contact <laughs> form plugins that have come out. So maybe it is like a lot of market validation. Do you think the uh, amount of choice around the contact form plugins is actually driving innovation and competition and making the overall market better? I, I absolutely think that. First of all, when going into business, I, I would rather go into a saturated market than a market where I have to carve out and educate an entire group of people of why they need my service, right? So the form space, when we looked at it, we were like, well, obviously people are spending money in this space. So even if we get a sliver, we'll, we'll at least have a good hobby you know, project on the side. Now it has since turned into much, much larger than a hobby project, but we didn't really go in with that in mind at first. We just thought if we could make a little money off of the side, maybe even recoup some of our costs, that'd be pretty cool and started experimenting with it. But yes, I think it absolutely breeds innovation. You'll see it like, all right, so, you know, there's no reason, uh, there's no reason reason ignoring the elephant in the room, right? When we started, Gravity Forms is the big form builder in WordPress. Everybody knows it, so there's no point in <laughs> not saying it. But after us came Caldera Forms, and they went a different direction. Now, they're following, our, they're following a similar business model that we started with Ninja Forms, but they're doing it differently. Their builder is very different. It doesn't look anything like what Ninja Forms looks like now or what Ninja Forms used to look like. It doesn't look like Gravity Forms. So they're trying to innovate in their own way. Um, you know, Formidable is doing some really cool things. Uh, so there's lots of great form plugins. And, and the, the funny thing is, and this is what I love about the WordPress ecosystem, is I'm friends with all of these companies. Like Steve and Stephanie over at Formidable, I love those guys, those two. Like they're a great couple. We, ha we hang out uh, at events. We'll go out to lunch together and talk trade secrets like we have a lot of fun you know i know carl i know josh pollock like they're all good people and so it's a really kind of a neat thing to be in competition and we are in competition but i don't need to destroy them um i i, I say it this way because I, in, in business you know i want to do great and i here's the thing i don't want to i don't want to destroy the competition but I do want to do better than them. And that's it. I mean, I want them to have their piece, but I'm still going to try to do better. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely, we're seeing it breed innovation. And people are innovating not just in product, because features, it's kind of after a while, you kind of start to, there's only so much you can do with features. But people are innovating with business model and with SaaS and services that they can offer within their plugin, things like that. Um, how they distribute their products is is a, is a innovation that's taking place. So I think all of that is actually really interesting. One thing I want to key in on, on what you said is instead of treating you know, your competitors uh, like it's a zero-sum game and trying to annihilate them off the face of the earth, you actually uh, you know, talk with them and you guys talk with each other and, and, and share information. Uh, you just want to do a little bit better. So when it comes to having some sort of like business council, or, uh, as you would say, like a mastermind uh, of people that, that you can talk with. How useful is that in taking your business to the next level? I mean, obviously, it depends on the mastermind and, and to varying degrees and how, how transparent that group is allowed to be or allows themselves to be. Uh, but masterminds are great. I mean, especially if you have a good mix of, one, different types of products and services. The masterminds that I, I dislike the most are where everybody is in the exact same space doing the exact same thing. Uh, and it feels like what we're trying to do is 
is not innovate, but just uh, improve on what we've all what we all know. But when you create a bunch of people who are in different spaces doing different things, services, products, different types of products, physical goods versus digital goods, and you mix that up a little bit, all of a sudden you get ideas that innovate in your space of stuff that you haven't thought about. So you look at somebody who's selling a physical good or providing a service and you say, how can I apply that to my product, my digital product business that's different and innovate in the space? That's much more interesting to me. Uh, but yeah, I think masterminds are super helpful to get bounce your ideas off. And again, if there's transparency there, I think it definitely gives you the ability to um, kind of shine a light into your own business and see things that you might not be able to see because you're just too close. So other people can look into your business and say, but have you thought about this? And many times we find out we haven't like they're just we're so close to it that it, it be, we become blind to those things. No, like you said, uh, like the Bard said, uh, variety is the spice of life. Um, mm -hmm. and, and when it comes to growth, when it came to like growing your business, how did the evolution of of growing uh, WP Ninjas uh, come about? And as you went along, were there like steps where uh, you know things keep changing as as you level up each step? And describe that, yeah, a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, so our, our flag, our WP Ninja is pretty much rides on Ninja Form. So Ninja Forms is, is our really our sole source of, of income for the company. And and now we're currently we I have eight employees and then there's me and my business partner. So we're not uh, we're not a big product shop, but in the space of of WordPress plugins, we're we're fairly decent size as far as that's concerned. And we, you know, we transitioned from we offered Ninja Forms in I think it was November, uh, June, yeah, June of 2011. We offered a premium Ninja Forms, and that was kind of our first version out. We charged fifteen dollars because, uh, you know, I didn't know any better, and I just was like, I just want to try to get it out there. So I try to try to compete on price, which is we know is a terrible thing to do. Um, but we sold it for fifteen dollars. It was unlimited licenses. It was unlimited support for the life of the product. It was a one-time sale. Terrible business model. Don't ever do that. But uh, so we we launched it with that. Six months in, we weren't doing great. Um, we decided we wanted to try to get it on the repo, so we created a light version, uh, split out, so we had light and pro. And so in December of 2011, we we put it on the repo. And 2012, we didn't do much better. We did raise the price to $29, uh, and but it was still the same business model. We just raised the price to $29. And we did that for an entire year. And sales, I think our best month was $1,200 in sales. And we were excited when we had a sale in a day. We we're like, yay, $29. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a rough patch. And so that... So that was so we had some evolution there, right? So we went from a premium product to a freemium to a pro upgrade with a pro upgrade. And then during 2012, I, I had built our little PayPal shopping cart to sell our plugin and I knew we needed something better. So, uh, you know, Pippin had just released easy digital downloads and I was looking at different add ons and you going to use that since I was selling a digital product. It made sense. And I was picking out all the add ons for it. And I realized while I was doing it, 
this would work for forms because most of the customers that we deal with and the users we deal with only needed a feature. They bought the pro because they needed conditional logic or they needed multi-part forms or they needed an integration. So I went to my business partner who is who is our developer and uh, or our, our CTO, our main developer, and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And he was like, well, actually, I'm already rebuilding Ninja Forms to be kind of bespoke and modular anyway. So it wouldn't take much to just make them completely separate. I'm already doing it in the code base, so I might as well just, we can just remove, you know, separate it out. So in January of 2013, we launched the add-on business model for, a, for Ninja Forms. And that was a, the next evolution. Now, it's still just the two of us. So week, you know, month one, we made $1,200 again. So we didn't know that anything had changed. We're like, well, that didn't do it much good. But then in February, it doubled. And then in March, it doubled again. And then in April, it went even higher. And it just kept growing. And we, all we did was change the business model. That was it. Product did the same thing. It looked the same way. We did raise our prices dramatically because you know we split up Pro into, I think, five different individual add-ons that all cost $29 a piece. So instead of just buying Pro for $29, it was each individual piece was $29. But just, you know, and, and month one, we didn't see a, uh, any change in our actual revenue, but then it just kept climbing. And that was the only change we made. Like that was it. So I think that's something to be said for when you're thinking about your own business. You don't always have to find the new feature, the new product. Sometimes I tweak to the model, just how you present it and how you sell it. Maybe just raising your prices can have a huge impact on your bottom line. Uh, so that was one evolution. So we went to, we went to that. And then I think in May... Uh, or April or May, we sent out a tweet because we had made it so modular. We just said, hey, would anybody like to build an integration for Ninja Forms uh, and sell it on our site? And Pippin reached out and said, sure, I'd love to. Talked to um, my partner and for, I think, like 30, 40 minutes. And an hour later, he said, here's a MailChimp add-on. <laughs> and he just had it done. Uh, and we start. And so from there, we actually, and we're just now thinking about the fact that that's what we are. We transition not from an add-on business model, but kind of a marketplace because we're selling other people's, other developers' code, and we're handling that from a brand standpoint. So we're now kind of a marketplace more than we are just a form plugin because anybody can sign up. And as long as, you know, you have to go through a process, but anybody could sign up and, and build something on top of Ninja Forms and sell it on our site, um, theoretically speaking. So we transitioned there. And in that process, though, that's when we had to start hiring people. So we hired our first a support person. Uh, that was our first hire was a support person. Our second hire was a developer. Our third hire was another support person. Our fourth hire was another support person. <laughs> and uh, we just kind of kept growing from there till now we have, you know, a team of eight. So we have two people who write, one person who's head of support. And actually now we have one, two, three, four, five developers and uh who who handle actually do all the support so we did, we've we've moved we actually trained so there's an evolution for you right we started with the idea of we're gonna have a support department and a development department they're gonna be separate things um and then we've got we started to realize it was better to have the developers in support than and even though it does slow us down sometimes on production of new features it is beneficial for them to see how users are using the plugin and to be informed not by 
a third, you know, a go between who says, Hey, you know how users are using this? They see it for themselves. So we actually kind of got rid of our support department and merged them into a full development department. Uh, and they handle the support as well. So that was a transition we had to make from just instead of doing them as kind of separate departments within the company, they just all do. Now we actually do all team support. So even our writers are in there doing support. So um, for a period of time. But yeah, that's that that I guess would be a kind of the natural progression we have gone as far as a company. Cool. Um, so as far as like the company structure, like the processes that you have like internally, how did those change as your company grew? Um, they, <laughs> you know, it's funny when you start a company and you you hire your first employee. Processes don't even enter into it. You don't even think about it. You're just you're, you're, you're at the time we were two guys who knew what we were doing. Add a new person, and he just sat next to us. So if he had a question, he'd just say, "Hey, how do I do this?" <laughs> We'd show him. Um, once you, I think at every you you kind of. Transition so up to five employees, you probably get away with that pretty well. After five employees and getting into closer to 10, you start thinking, Oh, we actually need some systems and processes and policies in place that kind of explain how that works. Um, I don't know that we're, I don't know that we're, you know, a typical company in this, but we do full transparency in our company. Um, and so part of that is everybody in my company knows exactly what we earn as revenue, full sales disclosure. They know every single number. Um, we actually put it up on the TV in the office. So they see it live update every single moment. So they know what we're projecting. They know every time it goes up, down or anything like that. Uh, so we do full disclosure of that. And I I'm sure it has, it has its uh, you know pros and cons. Uh, but that has kind of helped us. That's one of the processes that we adopted was full transparency. So everybody knows that the work that they're doing is going towards that bottom line where they're watching that and they know what those numbers mean to them. Um, some processes that change. I'll give you an example of a really big process. Support was killing us. Uh, we we get a lot of support requests, um, and they're usually just things that can be pointed to documentation or just don't understand a particular setting or feature. And sometimes they are really you know deep dive bugs that we have to look into. Uh, but we were getting buried in it, and it seemed like our development team and really our whole team was spending all our time in support and not doing it so in a timely manner. And we were really struggling with this. So I start, I needed, and, and what happens is I am a very obsessive compulsive individual. And so I need those numbers down. I want zero cues. I want like, I don't want responses within an hour. I, I'm really anal about that. Um, and so what ended up happening is I realized I spent one, I spent a two week period where I did nothing but support. And I was in support all day, every day, all night on the weekend. I remember one weekend I had answered over 150 support tickets and cleaned out the queue. And I realized that I can't do this. Like I have so many other things I need to be doing that are more important and support is important, but more important for me to be doing. So I kind of coded up a little system with our support system to kind of give me some triggers that says, Hey, if the queue falls within this threshold, alert me and let me know. And that's how I know I need to either get on my team or even myself jump in. So it was, it was built as a tool to give me freedom to not be in the support queue. I was trying to release myself. Well, my head of support came in and he says, you know, with a few tweaks, that's like a traditional add-on. And I'm like, add-on? <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, an add-on. So in manufacturing, uh, especially you see this in card manufacturers, 
an andon is basically a green, yellow, red system that lets you know that there is a problem in the system. Something has broke down uh, and we need to stop everything and deal with with whatever broke. So I made some tweaks and now we have a, what we call our support andon. And so there are four levels. There's free, L1, L2, L3. Uh, L1 is our, you know, our first touch paid queue. Uh, free is, of course, free users. L2 is needs a little deep dive, but it's probably a settings issue. And L3 is I've confirmed this is a bug and a, and a senior developer needs to really dig in and figure out what's going on. And so we have thresholds of time to respond, how long, you know, how long we will let the queue sit before somebody gets a response, um, how many tickets are in the queue or is heavy load for us, things like that. And it basically is green and then it turns red. And when it's red, whoever is in charge of that queue stops whatever they're doing. If they're developing features, if they're writing copy, if they're whatever it is they're doing, they stop what they're doing and they work the support queue until it turns green. And when it turns green, they can go back to their other work and they can just turn it off and forget about the queue. And then there's this final level of blinking red and blinking red means something broke. Uh, either we're getting uh, so many tickets that something unusual is going on. So maybe there is something crashing in the plugin or something like that. Uh, or somebody has dropped the ball and has not responded to a customer in an appropriate amount of time. And that's problematic as a company. So something broke, something went terribly wrong. And that notifies everyone on the team. And when we have a blinking red queue, everybody stops what they're doing and everybody works that queue until it turns green. Nobody walks away. Uh, and so these are the, like the types of processes the company grows. We have to create systems that allow us to make sure that like support gets the appropriate um, amount of attention, but that we don't also neglect all of our other work. So that became a system for us that has been working really, really well. And all of a sudden we're the most productive we've ever been. I mean, we, we're, we're patching things, we're writing features and everybody in support is getting dealt with in a timely manner. And that's awesome. So that's kind of the transition as uh, kind of a real use case that we've just gone through recently. One of the things that really strikes me about that story, what you're telling me is, is it shows that that customer service, uh, namely support, is the most important part. And you guys developed an internal process yeah. that, that made it possible to, to get the help to address situations like that in a timely manner. Um, and I think companies, no matter if they're uh, physical, no matter what they are, that's one thing that's lacking. How important... Um, is support and customer service to your overall product growth? I think it is paramount. Um, I think, you know, I sat down once with Chris Lemma and we were talking about pricing and products and stuff like that. And he said, you know, I, you're, you could 10x your company and never write another feature in your plugin. And you could 10x your company. And I, I, I really took that to heart. Now, he was talking more specifically about focusing on marketing and segmentation and, and stuff like that. But the truth is, we could also continue to build our product by doing nothing but support because free support is a way for us to gain trust with users who might likely come in and buy product later. Um, and, you know, retaining customers and so we get those renewals year after year after year and keeping them in our ecosystem, getting people when they have a good experience being willing to write boldly about their love of the product helps with brand recognition. I mean, it's, it's paramount. Um, not to mention that, but I mean, honestly, our, you know, our goal as a company, and I'm sure lots of go go companies have a similar goal, uh, how they word it, is 
But ours is we want to help others be successful. That's that's our mission. Like our mission is to help people be successful. And that may be. And for us, it's by, you know, providing the best products, resources and services. So our product is Ninja Forms. Our resources is our blog and our documentation and articles that we write about how to use the product and, and how to work in, this, in that space. And our support and our services is our support. And so it's a it's a it's a I guess a, a pillar, if you will. Of, uh, of the three most important things in our company and what we do. And so, yeah, I think it's super important. It helps you build your brand recognition. It, it, you know, everybody likes it when you have somebody who says, you know, well, you know, I, I'm using such and such plugin and everyone's like, you should stop using that and you should use Ninja Forms. <laughs> like, because I've had such a good experience with them, you should do that. Now, we, we drop the ball. We don't always have great experiences. I mean, crying out loud you can look at our reviews and we've just had a we've had a rash of bad reviews um and i know and we know what the problem is and we're fixing the problems and we're working through it and and it's not everybody but it doesn't matter if you have a you know when you have eight hundred thousand active installs one percent of those people have a bad situation and it's a lot of it's a it's a heavy support load and you've got to dig through all of that and figure it out and so it may be very minor in the grand scheme of things but to a small team man it's a major issue and so you just kind of have to work through it and and be apologetic and do what you and so talk about support everyone on my team has has refund authority and permission nobody has to come to me or anybody else and say can i refund this customer um, one if it falls within the period of time we just refund we don't care like if you want to refund we want you to have your money back um, and if it's outside that time you know if we've dropped the ball we've dropped the ball but we also extend licenses uh if we need to if we've dropped the ball if we've done poor job of getting something resolved you know we had a I, I can think of just recently we had a customer where we, it took us a week to get their s issue solved and it should not have taken a week um and and so what we ended up doing is we extended their licenses for three months and you know like hey you lost a week we're giving you three months because we we dropped that ball but my team does that they don't they don't have to come to me for that because that's that's important to us so we want our users to have the best experience possible and so i try to give them as much authority as they can to make that happen uh, and so, you know, my team will get on a phone call. Uh, one of my developers just recently was like, I, we're going back and forth and we're not getting anywhere and I really need to help this user. Let's schedule a phone call. Let's just get on. And anybody who has a product business knows most product businesses do not offer call support, phone support, screen time support. Um, lots of product businesses just won't do that because it's just, it's not cost effective. But there are times when we make exceptions because the, you know, our customers are what's most important and we want to get make sure they're successful. And if we're dropping the ball, then we have to step up our game. No, definitely. That's that's great advice. Uh, we're uh, right up against our, our midpoint break and when we come back, we're going to be talking more with James Laws of WP Ninjas and Ninja Forms. See you after the jump. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast 
We're coming back from the break and we're talking with James Laws, the founder of WP Ninjas and uh, creator of Ninja Forms. Uh, one last question before I turn it over to Jonathan. Uh, when it <laughs> comes to, uh, you know, marketing spend uh, in the WordPress ecosystem, uh, recently we've seen um, a lot of people like putting more money into podcasts and maybe a little bit less into WordCamps. Um, if that is is indeed happening like across the ecosystem, uh, why is that happening and, and will that continue to be a trend? That's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we've sponsored several podcasts over, you know, over the last couple of years. We've also sponsored lots of uh, lots of WordCamps. We enjoy that process. Um, we don't really pick one way or the other, which, you know, we don't have like, oh, podcasts are better, WordCamps are better uh, in that regard. I think what's happening is... I think companies are trying to figure out how to actually market. I mean, here's the thing. In WordPress, WordPress business ecosystem is still really immature and young in a lot of ways. And so we just are experimenting, I think, with marketing at this point. So in the beginning, it was WordCamps because that's all anyone knew. And they were going on and they had sponsorships. And, we were making, and, and WordCamps were making a big deal about sponsorships, at least at the very least, saying that it was a thing. And so I was like, well, let's, let's throw my money over there. Uh, podcasts have been climbing now and lots of people are creating podcasts and there's a lot more of them out there. And so what ends up happening is all of the, all these companies say, well, let's try that. And this podcast reaches my audience. So let's do that. And so let's find some money there, but you know, we only have so much money, so we can't necessarily always do both. So we end up, uh, you know, pulling away from WordCamps to try this. We've just started doing a lot more marketing ourselves, Google AdWords, Facebook ads, Twitter ads, uh, and experimenting because we don't know what works and we don't even know what we don't know when it comes to marketing. So we're doing a lot of experimentation on small funds. But to your point, at least aside to your point, we made the decision this year that we weren't sponsoring any WordCamps. Now, that it feels it feels like that's a slight to WordCamps. It's not. We're still going to go to some. I'm speaking. I'm I'm going to WordCamp San Diego next week, and I'll be speaking there. And I enjoy WordCamps. We love them. But we had we decided this as a company. We were going to make our focus internal, and we were going to focus on growth and health of our company and our team, and make sure our team is healthy, and make sure our processes are healthy, make sure everything we're doing inside is healthy. So we've decided that for budgetary purposes, not because we don't love WordCamps, we love them. And hopefully next year we will amp it up again and do some really fun stuff at WordCamps. But this year we just decided we're not spending the money there. Um, we're being very selective about how we spend our money and, and what we sponsor and what we do. And it's not because we don't think all of these things are great services and great podcasts and great WordCamps and all of this stuff. Um, but we just don't, we just, we have to be mindful of our budget. We only have so much money. Uh, and the, and the truth is, you know, WordCamps are tough because, you know, uh, was it Tony Perez wrote a great article on the return, you know, kind of what the return on sponsoring a podcast and why somebody might sponsor. And for us, it's not to get customers, certainly. And he made a good point, right? You're probably not getting customers at WordCamps. For us, it's about just being in the community, being a face in the community. It's, it's enjoyable for us when we go, when we sponsor, we try to do a big, we usually do the, a, a high tier and we try to bring the whole team or as many from the team as we can because we just want to like flood the camp and have a lot of energy and have a good time but it's just about being present in the community more than it is about what are we going to get out of it so definitely Jonathan. yeah i think you made some great points there james but my my little my little insight into it is that um i think a lot of um 
people that sponsor um, podcasts or word camps. I, I think you're gonna. I think you've got to have a bit more of a long term attitude to it. I. You've got to be selective, mm -hmm. but be selective in you're going to really try and build a relationship with a podcast or with certain word camps, the mm -hmm. organizers of them, and be more part of the setup in the confines of the rules um, that surround what a sponsor can be involved in and can't. But be really seen as a partner of that word camp on a semi-long-term basis and the same with podcasts i think just have um is fine but if you can periodically come on the show or there's some opportunities of um other forms of joint marketing together i think that that will be a much in the longer term a much better return than just splattering your your budget, your average marketing budget all over the place. Yeah, I I actually I agree with you one hundred percent. I love those points, right? Like it is about relationship and and you know, you're you sponsor a podcast for an episode and you've probably missed a good portion of that audience because we know not everybody listens to every episode of every podcast. So you've already like limited yourself. But when you sponsor for a run and a large run um, and you and you actually uh, engage the listeners of that podcast and you get involved and you support it and you promote it and they promote you like there is this this kind of synergistic relationship of we're in this together and we believe in you and you believe in us and you're we're not you don't believe in us just because we're giving you money to sponsor your podcast because we've built some trust and a relationship i think that's huge and we've we've tried to do that too like we haven't been able to as, as much because, you know, last year we went to WordCamp Miami and I never had gone. I really wanted to do WordCamp Miami. So we sponsored that. But because it was so close to WordCamp Atlanta, we weren't able to do that. Well, Atlanta's one of our local camps. Like it's with it's a two and a half hour drive. We love it. So we always tried to sponsor. This year the same thing happened. I'm going to San Diego and because of funds and, and our, our decision this year, we weren't able to do it. Um, but we've always tried to sponsor WordCamp Atlanta and Nashville. We have a really good relationship with both of them. Even last year, though we weren't sponsoring, uh, I sent one of my developers down and he dressed up like a manatee and took pictures with people. And he became the unofficial mascot of WordCamp Atlanta because he was just having a good time taking pictures with people and, and, and having fun. But it's those kinds of relationships that I think help the community and, and, and can help the business because it is about brand recognition. What do people think when they see your brand? And if they just see your brand once, they probably don't think much of your brand. You know, it's not even on their mind. But if they're seeing your brand pop up all the time, engaged, polite, um, you know, fun, uh, that does that does a lot for building kind of brand recognition among that community. So I agree. I think building relationships and partnerships are super important. Because I think it is a you know obviously this exchange of money, but um, sure. I look I look for from a major sponsor. A, do I believe in the product? Um, B, the management. C, uh, the way they conduct themselves in general. And I think the um, the people that sponsor shows or, or other things, they're exactly the same. They they look at, you know, who are the, what is the show aimed at, the presenters, 
how do they come across and basically their ethics and the way they come across in the community because obviously there are some podcasts or there's some form of marketing in the WordPress that um, I'm looking for the right word here. Um, it's really struggling. I've got to be really careful here, James. Um, <laughs> um, I'm really struggling to find the right word. Um, their, their approach is um, slightly more out there, more confrontational oh, yeah, yeah. in tone. Um, I don't think anybody could really point that me and John have said anything bad about anybody or anything. You know, we have our honest opinions and we state sure. them, but we don't like go on Twitter and start slagging people off the phone. I don't think that's very professional. And B, I don't think me and John are really um, into that. Now, um, if you had a kind of young developer that you really thought really you know they're a great developer and they had you know they were there as they say and they got this idea and you like the idea as well so a you like the developer and you like their plug-in idea and they came to you and then said can you give us some quick um insights uh, things that you learned um that could help us is there like two to three quick things you could like point out to that person that on reflection you wished you had known when you started your plug-in journey? <laughs> well, I will say it worked for us, but I don't think it was necessarily the smart way for us. Um, know your, you know, you have to learn your market. Um, so even if you have a great idea and that, that may be great, but you need to understand the market and, and what the market needs, what the market wants, how you can differentiate yourself in the market. We didn't know that when we went in with Ninja Forms. So we kind of went in blind and just kind of threw it out there and for a year and a half did accomplish very little uh, with our plugin because we were doing everything the same way as everyone else uh, in, in a lot of ways and didn't really differentiate ourselves. So finding your, knowing your market and finding your differentiator, is, I think, is a really big one. Um, for us, it was the add-on model. So it was the business model that worked. We didn't know this going into it, but when we looked back uh, and did some and did some searching and stuff like that, we found that for some of our competitors, one of the big things that there was constantly being asked for is, I don't need the whole thing. I just need this one thing. Can I buy this one thing? And the answer was, no, you can't. And I understand why the answer was no. It wasn't their model. They didn't want to support that kind of a system. Um, but what we found out is that made us uh, extremely popular among a certain group of people that that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted that a la carte kind of situation. So uh, I would say if you could go into that knowing that information on the front end, it might make your journey a little easier instead of discovering it after the fact. So definitely know your market. And definitely try to figure out what is your differentiator, what sets you apart. Um, the second thing is, is to keep in mind that what sets you apart now won't necessarily set you apart later. So what's going to get you to the to, to launch or to viable business or to even your first employee is not going to be the thing that gets you to 10 employees or 20 employees, if that's even what you want. Um, it's not going to necessarily be the thing that gets you to 500,000 in annual sales, a million in annual sales, or 5 million in annual sales. Like, you have to constantly evolve. Your company has to change and adjust. And for us, we've had to do that several times over the last few years. Uh, and constantly 
change. So right now, our differentiator isn't just the add-on model. Like that can't be it because now we have like Caldera Forms, who also does the add-on model, and there are other plugins that are coming along doing that. And there's new forms launched probably every single week on a new form plugin that wants to kind of get into that space. Uh, so you have to you have to be willing to evolve. So that's the other thing is don't hold your ideas and loosely don't don't hold them too tight be willing to change be flexible um and then i i think the next one is really important is be humble i come across a lot of products companies and product developers who just think they are all that <laughs> like that they have solved all of the problems and that they write the cleanest most um you know the the best code in the world the best the, to the best highest standards that their ideas are the best their ui is the best their this is the best and and the truth is it, it may be the best for a group of people but it is not the best for everyone. And so you have to kind of consider that. So just be humble. Don't don't think you have all of the idea all the all the best ideas. Be willing to learn from other people and and get as much feedback as you can. Now, you may need to ignore that feedback. That feedback may come and you may say that's BS and I'm not going to listen to it. But you should still be willing to listen to it. So when we went out there a lot of people told us to just quit, don't even bother putting out ninja forms. Well, it was good for us to be to hear it. In fact, it lit a fire under us in a lot of ways. But that was advice we were not supposed to listen to. And thank God we did not because, you know, we're, we're doing quite well. Um, but I think that's a situation where you have to take as much advice in, on and then you have to be able to, you know, kind of break that advice down and say, all right, this is what I'm going to take to heart. This I can apply to my business and this I'm going to put away. And then some stuff you may just shelve and say, you know, that may be good for later. It's not good for now, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye on that. So I would say those are my, my points. Oh, that's great, James. Um, funny enough, I've got a similar personality to yourself. You know, you want to motivate me, just tell me to give up on something. I get more interested for good or bad. Uh, um, um, there's so many ways we could take this conversation. Um, UX design. Um, I'm involved in some crazy, well, John knows I'm involved in some crazy SaaS thing I'm doing. Um, I've found the hard way that UX design is rather important. Uh, um, what's, what's your road been in UX design in the confines of a plugin and WordPress and, and yeah. its importance? Can you give some insights on that? Absolutely. Um, and I love this topic, too, because I have changed dramatically over the years on my stance on that. So in the early days, uh, as we were coming into the WordPress ecosystem, we held the line that I think a lot of people still hold. And I, I don't I don't begrudge anyone for holding that. But every plugin needs to feel it's, it has to look and follow exactly the WordPress admin guidelines, like the exact way they do things. And I held that position very strongly. There's still plenty of people who do. And that is not necessarily a wrong point of view. It is a point of view. And so I, I'm totally OK with that. And so we did. So when we redesigned, when we built Ninja Forms, uh, the menu system had just been put in to WordPress. And so I was looking at the menu system. I thought, you know, actually forms could actually work really well in this with the meta boxes on the left and the form on the right and, you know, and kind of looked at it. And so we basically lifted wholesale that UI and plugged forms into it. And it worked. It was okay. 
but it was extremely limiting because that UI was not meant <laughs> for what we were using it for. Um, and so we did that for a long time. And we found a lot of limitations with that. It, it worked. People liked it. They were like, as a matter of fact, we got praised for it in the beginning. Like, oh, I love this, that you've used the menu UI for this. It looks exactly like WordPress. It's, it just blends right in perfectly. Uh, love it. And over the years, of course, that got tarnished a little bit because styles and and, and WordPress changed, and because we didn't actually change the mark, we actually lifted the markup. So when they changed theirs, like it would break things in our own UI that we had to like. So we had and and we ended up in our CSS. We had like conditions for if you're in these versions, this CSS is what we're going to load. Uh, you know, these styles uh, tweaks have to be loaded to adjust for the changes that have happened over time. It was just it became hellacious, and and I. I, it was really a headache. Um, but then when we decided we wanted to rebuild Ninja Forms, we knew we knew we were going towards a JavaScript application uh, style for Ninja Forms. We knew that was the future we wanted to head in. Um, we had just done our branding with a company called Focus Lab. And they're they're out of Savannah, Georgia. Great little company, great team. Loved working with them. They did they they came up with our three ninja heads and our peaking ninja, and uh, they just did a really amazing job. We've gotten so many compliments on people who love uh, love what we've done with that, and so they were really really good. And so I had always said in my head, when we get ready to redo the UI, I want to hire them. Um, they're not in WordPress. They don't build WordPress websites. They do do they do build websites, but they don't build WordPress websites. And I kind of liked that. Um, I liked the outsider the outsider opinion a little bit. And so we hired them to do redo the entire Ninja Forms uh, user experience. And when they first did it, um, they were trying to be very respectful to the WordPress admin and to the way we had done it in the past. And so what they gave us came across as almost a reskin of Ninja Forms inside the shell of WordPress. And I went back to them and I said, and it was nice. It was it was looked really nice. But I went back to them and I said, you for you have missed why we hired you. I want to know if Focus Lab was going to build a form building software, how would you build it? Like, what would the user experience look like if you guys were to go through that process? Because I wanted somebody from the outside to really rethink from the very beginning, what does it look like to build a form and what is the process and all this stuff? And what they came uh, back with is uh, basically what Ninja Forms uh, current version looks like. Um, we've had to make tweaks because there are certain things you just can't know when you're just dealing with design. And once you actually try to implement a user experience and a user interface, you're like, oh, yeah, well, they didn't think about that. We didn't think about that. So we've had to fix some things. But overall, it's pretty much what they came up with, and we were really, really happy about it. Now, we made the conscious decision that we were going to create our own style, our own user interface, our own experience that was not to the line of what WordPress did. And we knew we were going to get pushed back. We knew there were going to be people who said, doesn't look and feel like WordPress. But then what we found out is, while there are some people who feel that way, most people recognize that it doesn't feel foreign to WordPress. It still feels 
good inside of WordPress. And I'll, I'll put it this way. Mika wrote an article. Uh, probably most of your listeners know uh, Mika. She's on the forums. She does a plug-in reviews and stuff like that. She wrote an article about Ninja Forms 3.0. And she said, now let me get back. Now let me tell you about what uh, she's at one point at the end of it. She's talking about all the things that she likes about Ninja Forms. It, it makes her like building forms again. She hadn't built forms in a while, but now she's thinking about things that she might want to build with forms because she's really enjoying the process. And she said, and what I liked is, although it does not follow, which is maybe, you know, nitpicky, while it doesn't follow WordPress style conventions, it still felt like WordPress. She didn't, she did said it didn't feel foreign. And then she said the next part, which was really funny. She said, well, my, my, so now for the negative, I didn't like the fact that the settings pages, now the settings pages, uh, she says they felt drab. They felt boring. They didn't have the same panage that, that the form builder had. Well, the funny thing is, is those are basically using the settings API of WordPress. It is WordPress. It is the WordPress UI. So basically what she was saying was the form builder made the rest of WordPress feel a little eh. And to me, that was a home run. Like liked it, didn't feel foreign, but it definitely made it feel elevated. Um, and that's what we were going for. And I think that's important because you, if you're selling software, and, and this is important too, because this obviously most of the work went in the free plugin. Like all of our add-ons just kind of batch on to what Forms does. So we spent that money basically on a free product because we wanted people when they installed it, they didn't want to install it and think, I, you know, I hate this misnomer of premium product. This idea that because you paid for it, it's somehow premium because it's not always. It may have come at a premium, but it may not be built premium. Um, so you have to be careful about that. We wanted Ninja Forms to be installed for free and feel premium. We wanted them to install it and go, I feel like I, I would have, I absolutely would have paid money for this. Uh, and that's what we were going for. And user experience uh, on the side, no, that's user, a lot of that, that is user interface. But the experience was trying to rethink, how do we make this as simple as possible, as few clicks as possible? How do we remove errors? This is one of the statements we went for. If somebody thinks they should be able to do something a certain way, can we let them do it? think of anything you could possibly think of. So a perfect example in the form builder is when you open the, the add fields drawer, um, you can click on a field and typically that will add it to the bottom of your form. You can drag that form in that field into the form and then drop it anywhere you want to in the form. You can also, if you add things, you can filter and add fields to a reservoir up top. And so you can add a bunch of fields, go through and add a bunch of fields to this little reservoir and add that whole group anywhere and drag that whole group of fields anywhere you want to in the form. And it was just a little thing of as we were adding things and doing, making these tweaks, we had to say, well, what if somebody tried to do this? Well, let's make it work. Let's just make it work. And so that's our philosophy of UX. If somebody could think that that should, have, that should do something, we should do our best to make sure it does it. Um, when we're still improving, it, it's not perfect. Like we could do better inline documentation, better uh, guides and helps through the process. We're still working on that. But uh, I am now of the opinion that I, while I love WordPress and, I, you know, I, I probably always will, I've, I've always, I've, I love WordPress. Um, I think we can do better from a UI standpoint. And as a product person, I want to do better. And so I don't want to. And, and here's the thing. Not everything you build in WordPress does the WordPress UI um, contribute towards. You sometimes have to think outside the box. So, Yeah, I think you really covered a lot of territory, a fantastic answer. Um, I'm tempted to go down, but I, I've got to respect your time. Um, and there's another area that I want to ask you a question, but you have to come back and we have to 
discuss UX a bit more deeper because it's a is area I'm getting increasingly fascinated about myself because what seems to be obvious can be you can be aghast when you get some <laughs> new users and you're <laughs> try to use it. Uh, we we had um, Chris Lemmer on the show a few weeks ago, um, and we had a fantastic discussion. Obviously, you know, Chris is passionate about his mm-hmm. views, but they're always based on logic. Um, and he seemed to be hinting that the real growth and the real excitement, when you really look at the um, the statistics and facts, is e-commerce and WordPress. Um, and I think I agree with him because when you look at the competition and WooCommerce did a great job as an independent company, but now they've got all the resources, that they um, a lot more resources thrown at it. Um, I really do see the real growth in WordPress around e-commerce. Um, would you agree with that? And if you do, how do you see your company? Are you, are you thinking of placing yourself um, products around e-commerce? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. It's funny because there was a news. Um, my in-laws were watching a news article, something about e-commerce or something. And when I got there, they said, "Well, why don't you guys build an e-commerce solution? That seems to be where all the money is." <laughs> so my in-laws, who know nothing about computers, uh, are getting that information as well. Um, and the truth is, is I don't want to have anything to do with an e-commerce solution. There are so many headaches. I, I talk to Pippin regularly about easy digital downloads and, you know, things that we, we deal with and they deal with. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a beast. I will say this. Um, I agree. Um, the idea is people want to make money, are finding that there's more and more ways to make money on the Internet, whether that be by providing services, resources, products, whatever, whatever they may be, physical goods, digital goods, um, you know, white papers, PDFs, <laughs> you know, signing up to receive a newsletter and, and paying to, to be a part of a mailing list. And like there's more and more of this happening and people are catching on to that. And WordPress is a very accessible way to start doing it. Um, it can help you with the distribution of your content as well as handle, you know, through plugins like WooCommerce, uh, can handle the collection of, of funds to do that or the subscriptions or the membership sites or all the stuff that's doing that. So we are obviously building out more things like payment gateways. Um, we're working on our product fields a little bit and as enhancements to make that easier um, because we know that there's more and more users that are requesting those types of features. Like they want to do more with products. They want to collect payments. They want to do more advanced calculations to do some really cool stuff to, uh, of, of figuring out how much somebody should be charged. And they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. And because of that, we're trying to make that easier. Yeah, that's why I thought because um, that's why I would thought I would ask you that question because there the, there seems to be a lot of um, overlap. What a form plugin, um, a form producer, the the requests they would get, mm-hmm. and how far you take that because in the end you end up like something like Pippin's program. Uh, you know, you end up it it been that or been uh, something more than you thought that you wanted to go down as a form plug-in so it's getting that black blend isn't it i suppose that blend is very similar to your um our discussion around ux design you know like you say you want to push it but you want them to not feel that they're still in wordpress uh, so they're not in a totally alien um 
environment. You know, it's got no linkage to WordPress metaphor. Yeah, you 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 don't want it to be offensive, and and you're right with the, the like with forms. That's that's absolutely true. You have to make sure you stay in your lane, right? We are a form plugin, right? We're not an e-commerce solution, so there's lots of times that somebody will come with a really complicated solution, and we have to go. Mm, um, this is not really the best. What you're wanting to do, you really should look at these other solutions, a full e-commerce solution. So you have to be careful about that because you can get into feature creep really easy and turn your system into something it's never meant to be. Um, but there, I think there are ways that plugins can do it, like forms, that we can do it where we can offer similar types of features to at least for a segment of the market that wants to do that that doesn't need a full e-commerce solution. Uh, an example, we just released a Recurly add-on for Ninja Forms, and we built that actually for Liquid Web. So <laughs> like we built that for them because they needed something for Ninja Forms that would, which would interface with Recurly for subscriptions. So we, we kind of sat down and we knew we wanted to do it for, with them, so we just kind of built that out. That's great. So um, I think we get to see if John wants one final question, and then we wrap it up. What? what where do you feel, John? Um, last question is: you know, uh, when it comes to uh, you know growing your your podcast with uh, with uh, Gene Galea and uh, you know with with your other podcast, the Adventures in Businessing, um, you know. What advice would you give uh, people who who are looking to start a podcast? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of fun. Um, I yeah. I I discovered podcasting accidentally, so I wanted to do something like that. And John reached out and said he we were in a mastermind call, just the two of us, and he's like, I actually have that on my list too. Why don't we go in and do one together? So we did it. And the reason I fell in love with it is I've always been a public speaker. So I've done I've done public speaking events for years and years and years, but I'm a terrible writer. I can't like if I think too long about what I want to say, it almost loses all meaning to me by trying to craft it to be perfect. Um, so I'm much more comfortable, ex you know, being kind of on the fly and just say what's in my head and in my heart at the moment. And that's where podcasts actually worked really well for me. Um, Probably my advice is first of all is yeah start slow. Uh, don't you know? Don't do what I did. I I took an office in my in in my office space. I took one of the rooms and I covered it in foam and I bought uh, eight hundred dollars in microphones and a soundboard and like don't do what I did. Start small um, and see if it's something you actually want to do because you may find out because it's not easy. It's not. It takes. There's a lot of work involved in it, and I've got. I've been fortunate enough that I can outsource a lot of the work that I don't enjoy doing as far as a podcast. So I can just kind of show up and talk and walk away. Uh, but if you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So you wanna you wanna start slow and experiment a little bit to see if it is even something you want to do in the long run because you may find out it's not. Um, so maybe my advice is get on a few shows, get comfortable with it. And maybe even just do a, a couple just one-offs before you start going out and creating the whole show and putting it on iTunes and all of that stuff, right? Maybe just do a few shows and, and see how you like the production side of it and how you like putting it together. I'll tell, tell you one thing, James. Um, um, I'm I'm so thankful I've got a great co-host, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, happy to really, uh, me and John don't have too many arguments, um, <laughs> do we, John? And... Um, I've been blessed with John Locke as a co-host because um, 
I, I've only got real amateur. I, I don't know how people. I do another podcast where I've also got a really good co-host. Um, but the people that do it solo, like Matt, the Matt Ripple, um, oh, yeah. WordPress chick, um, the people that do it solo, um, I don't know how they do it because I, I really rely on having a co-host. I agree. I agree. I, I would say that's probably if you if you do get into it, even if you decide you like it, I wouldn't do it without a co-host. You need somebody to, to kind of lean on. First of all, you're, there's going to be times where there's just you're at a loss and a co and a co-host can kind of step up and fill that gap for you. It, it creates energy. You build a rapport with each other and you can banter. I mean, the truth is you guys know it. You guys can get on here and you can banter for an hour easily, just the two of you and do a show. And it's easy because it's just you guys, it's just your natural rapport and you can get that every time. So I'd also say, I want to see, I want to watch podcasts do some unique stuff. I want to see some podcasts come out and do some, maybe uh, not every podcast needs to do this. I have a podcast I love. Um, it's called the the Profit First Podcast. And uh, I love it because it's so high energy. It's a, it's a, it's a podcast about finances and, and, and money. And like they start the show and they grunt and they're excited and they do sound effects. And that's actually why on AIB we started doing that is I think I was like, I'm going to start bringing sound effects. That's awesome. I love that. Um, they do it like it's like it's a radio show. Like I have fun with it. Don't don't feel like every podcast has to be exactly the same. You know, you know, WB Tonic has found its lane and it's doing its thing. And and, and Matt and, and, and the Matt Report has its lane and, you know find your lane like find something that's fun that you enjoy doing like AIB is not like any of the other business podcasts that I'm on or that I've done it is me my business partner and two of my employees who we make fun of the whole episode and talk shop like we talk about business principles and ideas and when they say stupid things we make fun of it like that's I mean and when we say and when I say stupid things they all make fun of me so it's just a lot of fun so find your lane like find what you enjoy and and it'll give you longevity but don't do it alone definitely don't do it alone <laughs> no excellent um this has been a dolly packed episode and, and definitely um to unpack uh james we will have to have you back on in the future for sure we'd like to you know touch base again with you uh down the line and, and see how your progress is going um can people find you if they want to find out more about you or follow you sure uh you can find me on twitter at james laws and of course anywhere ninja forms is mentioned or has a presence i'm probably there so awesome jonathan how do we get a hold of you Oh, it's easy, folks. You can get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. I think there is only one Jonathan Denwood on Twitter. Uh, um, or you can email me. I do reply to my email. Not straight away, but I, I'm still one of these people that do reply to email. I just don't just put it to an assistant. If it's sent to me and it's from obviously a human being that's actually spent time to write to me, I have the decency to reply <laughs> to it. And that's that. Jonathan at wp-tonic.com um, because you've got to treat people the way you would want to be treated, don't you, John? Uh, that's a life principle for sure. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm lockdown underscore. Uh, 
And if you want to follow my Facebook page, uh, just uh, Lockdown Design on Facebook. For the WP Tonic, we're saying adios, sayonara, peace out, arrivederci, dos. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.